1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat
0: management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you.
1: Hey guys, before we jump into this week's podcast, just want to remind you of uh, one of our partners who helps make this podcast possible, Vortex Optics. Uh, you guys know we love finding products that are um, quality products that do a great job and have a warranty to back it up. Vortex does that. We've been using these products for several years now, and uh, from everything from binos, spot and scopes, range finders. Um, and rifle scopes, shoot, even got a red dot on the AR and N22 for plinking around on. So um, they help make this possible. For now, there is a code LEGACY20. You can get 20% off of all Vortex apparel in the store. So anything uh, in the Vortex shop that's uh, in the wear category, go check it out. You can support us by using the promo code LEGACY20. VortexOptics.com. All right, guys, welcome back. Adam here. Matt's here and uh, driving on the road. Yeah, so if you hear background noise, Matt's on his way to. You're in Virginia right now, I'm assuming. Yes. And yes, you're consulting landed. in. Where are you at tomorrow?
0: Tomorrow, I'll be on kind of the western side of the state, um, in the Sandowa Valley. And the next day, I'll be complete change, uh, but southern Maryland, kind of along the Chesapeake Bay. And then the day after that, another complete change, almost down um, towards uh, southern Virginia, but very southwestern in the mountains. So it should be really kind of a cool um, tour of the East Coast and kind of the mid-Atlantic regions that definitely has the offer, because you go from ocean to coast rather quickly over here. Mm. What's
1: the weather looking like?
0: Actually, not terrible. First part of the week's a little warmer, yeah. but then I think I saw low 70s later in the week. I'm like, all right, I can
1: handle that. Yeah, I think I think uh, one day later this week, is supposed to be 76 as a high. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. here in the Midwest, it's been, whew,
0: it's been hot. Gosh, it's been bad. <laughs> it's been bad. And yeah. all of a sudden, too, it turned just, like, super red hot and humid yeah. And Last But at days. the same
1: time, it wasn't just but a week ago and we had a good amount of rain. So mm-hmm. um, we're still getting mm-hmm. good rain. Um, second podcast this week is all about planting um, and some testing and different observations made from the tractor seat by Chad. But, um, man, the, the weather's been hot. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a big part of today's discussion is, is managing in the heat. Um, man, uh, we don't. Yeah, I, I don't think it gets talked about a lot um, probably seems like a lot more people are whitetail oriented north or midwest so the heat isn't really a huge factor um, but so you're headed to Virginia and Maryland and I just got back Friday we're recording yep. Sunday night um, I got back on Friday from a trip in texas um so Ouch. you talk heat <laughs> yeah one day i got in the truck yeah. finishing up as 98 um, uh-huh. and it's i mean it was june 5th right. june 5th the first frost yep. doesn't hit till probably early to mid-november down there so sure thing. Yep. you know you're going
0: <laughs> june a july lot of august
1: left. september october five months of some heat i was i was
0: in texas the week before you a year ago today basically so like it was like memorial day weekend last year i was in texas and it was hot it was very very hot um and was just like yeah they have so much more of summer left and that's (laughs) that's not fun (laughs) but it's one of those time frames from the wildlife or land manager side of things you 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 can almost get like complacent and say, look at all this green vegetation. I've got everything I need. Everything's growing deer are just, you know, I got fawns everywhere. I'm seeing them on camera. I got bucks. And antlers are growing. And it's almost just like a kind of a cruise control time frame, But, but oftentimes, you know, around, around our area, 2012, and everyone talks about 2012 being a bad drought and like how things just drastically changed. Um, but, Again, any good property, any good land manager manages for the rough times, the tough times, and you kind of always have to be prepared for those times. And your property and habitat does too. So that's kind of this week. Yes, getting uh, properties <laughs> set up
1: for sure. You know, and I think it—you could fall victim to the grass is always greener. Um, right. Just talking with people. Um, various landowners, clients, friends of ours, and it seems like the guys down south talk about, "Woof, I just there's no way I I don't think I could endure a winter up north," and then the people <laughs> yeah. up north say, I just couldn't stand the heat of the summer." Right. And it's like you think about how it's almost like their mind focuses on the severity of what the other guy has to endure or the other. The other deer population has to endure, but I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm down south, the summer heat is brutal on a lot of wildlife, especially when we're talking whitetail deer. Um, and, yeah. And and the purpose of this podcast has always been try to uh, help landowners and help land enthusiasts improve their property um, to where they can get maximum potential and maximum production out of their farm. And if you're not, if you're down south um, and you go anywhere, if you're down south and you look anywhere late summer or even just summertime, you have to focus in on going, this is my biggest stress period. This is when my deer, since we'll focus on deer on this podcast, this is when they need me most. And... If you're not managing, if, you're, if your management throughout the, the 12 months of the year isn't somehow trying to lower that stress period and improve your deer herd by making sure their stress levels stay lower than they may be on a county away or the property away, then you're miss, you have a major kink in your armor.
0: You know... you you see that a lot with white tails obviously bachelor groups are forming or, or already have formed right and so you can get it's very common to see 10 12 bucks in one group and sometimes properties they just don't summer well and there's not bucks on them and then all of a sudden they just creep back in they show back up if that's you that's probably a good sign that you don't have good adequate summer food resources as well as thermal cover that we that we're going to be talking about but you know that's one of those signs of hey I'm missing something on my property if if you experience that pretty often
1: absolutely uh I I think it could be you know if you go up north you think about the biggest stress period is late winter early spring and if your deer herd leaves you during those months hello that means you don't have a lot of value on your farm. So that's what you Mm -hmm. shoot for. Down south, it's the exact opposite, but except for the summer months. So when deer leave, and I think that's what a lot of people, if you don't have diverse landscape, and we'll talk about what we're keying in on and what we're trying to manage for, if you don't have that, then you realize your deer leave. And late summer, hello, guys uh texas where i was at season starts up october one you and i both know it's hot even it can be hot october one in missouri let alone texas Mm -hmm. so if you're shooting for that early season archery and you're trying to really make sure that you've got a great opening day and you're not managing for late summer stress then you're missing it and there's some things that you should be doing to try to enhance your property and maintain the fact that you have deer summering on your farm to where um, you have that chance of an opening day buck. And there's I a lot that, of different things that come into play with that.
0: Yeah, that transition of going from from summer to fall is super important, just, just from a vegetation standpoint, but obviously that has a strong correlation with with wildlife activity but if you're managing a lot of early successional habitat on your farm which is extremely positive if there's a window in which it can be a little bit less desirable maybe during that late summer time frame because a lot of the annual species are then going into seed production and therefore they're not nearly as palatable they're very dry very heavy lignin content and so the forage palatability is just not there so really it's just lots and lots of cover but if it's in a big field it might be bright open sun so so then it's not nearly as good all those acres just in that small window but then quickly turns good in the fall so so what i think i think it's important to go over what are the things that we're looking for during the summer what what do we want to be able to manage for what do those areas look like how can we do that how can we make great summertime thermal
1: cover absolutely um if we're talking late summer thermal cover um as soon as i think as soon as you say thermal cover a lot of our heads go to evergreens um just straight straight winter really Yeah. yeah it's like well up north we need thermal cover so you go into evergreens um and yes that's that is an option but I think if anybody's driven through Oklahoma and Texas and Nebraska and Kansas, you'll notice that the native evergreens to that region are very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're talking eastern red cedar.
0: Especially in the grassland. Especially in the grassland.
1: And so one property in particular that I worked was um, in the Waco region of Texas, um, Mm -hmm. west of Waco. And um, we're talking... Pretty, pretty diverse landscape, um, but a but a decent amount of the farm was a grassland component. Um, nice looks similar would look similar to our Ozark region glades. Very mm-hmm. shallow soil, very rocky. Prickly pear cactus dotted around. Little blue stem sure. being a big component of it. A um, couple types of grama, or uh huh rama um going in with some regional um pronunciations there um but uh and then your various wildflowers um and then dotted through some native shrubs uh particularly sumac varieties mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately um those grassland areas have been overtaken with eastern red cedar over the last probably 30 years. And so thick that it would be almost uh, hard to navigate through it um, in places. Because as you know, and many people can picture a uh, Christmas tree and how it starts green at the base and it goes all the way up to the top. Now, if you get into more th- uh, thicker-growing, denser eastern red cedar pockets, even pines, you'll notice that the lower branches start to perform self-pruning and don't carry nutrients to those because they're trying to focus on upward growth. And so the that's when you start getting those thin stands where you can almost see through cedar trees or pine trees. Um, yep. and that that is not occurring in many places it's like that perfect recipe where there's just enough space in to keep the evergreen needles all the way to the all the way to the uh, ground um but spaced close enough that they make it very hard to walk through um and and so kind of the question would come up and I know people are probably listening going okay well why is that not good thermal cover and anyone who's, because
0: there there would be sh- unless it's high it's, noon there's, there's some shade. shade component right there's
1: almost always shade under there mm-hmm. and i think anyone who's walked in the south during the summer during the heat knows that down there heat doesn't just come from above but it also comes up um <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> and reflecting you, off of it, rocks. Rocks it,
0: hold a lot of heat. Oh,
1: so a hot. And heat. if you were to um go out and and look under this, and this has always been one of my biggest complaints with Eastern Red Cedar monocultures, is yes, they may provide some cover, but they do not provide much forage value at all. Mm-hmm. And so even if a deer was bedded, in these cedars out in this open area or out in this area that should be open, they have to travel a pretty good ways to find quality forage. And that would be the riparian area. Um and some of these other diverse landscapes that he has that are lower land um than than this place. So there's not any quality forage there anyway. And so or not much. And so even though you may say there's shade with the eastern red cedar, there's not much forage, so then they have to travel a good ways to find it, so therefore they're not bedding there anyway
0: well, yeah. and two there, there's there's shade, but I know we'll talk about it more and some other types of features that you can be um, manipulating from a habitat standpoint but but when we talk about thermal cover in the summertime, it's not just about sun it's not just about shade but it's all, also about breeze yeah so so, the wind is super important to help regulate and keep a consistent breeze through areas that will help reduce the ambient temperature and just the stagnant air that's occurring there so and i think it's super important to to kind of keep that in mind when you're talking about managing for thermal cover in the summer absolutely cedars don't do it no, <laughs> they you, if, out. if, they you, that out if you've
1: taken a family vacation to the beach, do you go out in the beach and pop up a four-walled canvas tent and sit in the middle in the shade? No, yeah. you're su- yeah. suicidal. Or do you go down and you take an umbrella and you stick it in the sand so you're in the shade
0: but you still have the the breeze blowing? That's what everybody key, key, does. Keyword key umbrella. I yes. think everyone's heard the. Everyone's heard that on the podcast before. We talk about umbrella-shaped structure-like species. Yes, that's, that's the main reason, right there.
1: And so right there is times where a wind block is is good, but when we're talking looking for a cool-down thermal cover for summertime, where we're trying to stay cool, we want an umbrella effect with a breeze underneath, and you don't get that with dense eastern red cedar. Um, no. What Because if your eastern red cedar is so thick that the there's no needles coming down, you have a very big area of eastern red cedar um, that's very dense. And so you can achieve the goals of an umbrella effect much better with a shrubby thicket of sumac. Um, yes. And and that's like, you think about a, a plant that's growing almost like a telephone pole type straight up or kind of out in a colony to where there's not a whole lot of lower branches, but there's a whole lot of leaves up top. And so therefore you get exactly that. They can lay underneath it. Breeze can blow through it and they can still be in the shade. And Absolutely. And that is being choked out up there, um, across that farm. Um, Mm -hmm. and specifically, um, out in that grassy area. And therefore if, so here's what we're doing, here's kind of the idea, thin the cedars, cut the cedars. So we enhance some of these other, um, annual or not annual, some of these native species, Um, there will be annuals when we cut with the disturbance, but over time, it'll be more of a diverse landscape. Um, the sumac can provide great woody browse. So deer aren't going to bed in that area during the summer, probably regardless if we took it and we made it a native landscape, they're not going to bed in there very often because it's still hot. It's still a glade. It's still a dry site, but at least there's going to be more forage available through the early spring and before it gets hot and there's going to be more forage available in late winter because we now have more sumac or woody browse and so there's just a whole lot of other plants growing so we get more time um, and you more time for deer to spend in that site which takes the pressure off of the riparian area that they're going to spend a good amount of the summertime down now that makes sense yeah. I, and I and hopefully people caught that we're trying to send deer up to the grassy areas during the late winter early spring to take pressure off of those plants down in the riparian area and give them time to grow so when the deer shift back down in the heat there's still plenty of forage available and cover
0: yeah yeah that's why again diversity is super key to be able to not um not stress out the vegetation that you're needing for more critical times out of the year you really have to balance those times and and the kind of way out of property Uh, for sure almost put deer stash deer improve habitat so they spend and utilize again make it more usable space across property um that that's a case in point right there exactly why you need to do that but one of the other things i think you know down down in texas that you certainly see um And I'm not, obviously I was not there on that property, but did it have at all, you know, shorter, maybe blackjacks or post oaks or even live oaks, or or probably had a little bit of mesquite, which isn't ideal. But a lot of those trees, the further south you go, they're not nearly as tall. And so even if you can manipulate and have a semi-savanna feel, you still have, Sun, but you also have shade, and and those trees are so much shorter down there that with a wide enough canopy, you know a deer can stay bedded in the shade, move around, kind of chase the shade that day under one specific tree, because it's so close to the ground, and um, then there's food right there available as as well. I don't know if that farm specifically had that, but if you're in that region, those types of um, plant communities also provide that
1: absolutely and and certainly that's the case you go down in this part of texas and trees grow more out than they do up Um, Mm -hmm. you still have tall trees but not nothing like you would in tennessee kentucky and parts of the midwest or even north where a good majority of our veneer quality timber comes from
0: Um, it's i mean it's night and day those people in west virginia and and kentucky tennessee they probably if you never spent time down there you have no idea what it's like but we're talking like the tops of trees at, at 30 feet yeah. 35 feet and so there's a lot of shade when you have a very full canopy um, below that line so um, much different world so your management has to be much different down there to compensate for that
1: yep and so a lot of um a lot of those riparian areas that we're discussing um specifically the ones that i saw on on this farm was um once again closed canopy and i'm going to say that in a very uh not to say it's bad because we do want some of oh, this wow. shade
0: tolerant areas what are you seeing i just saw a beautiful red fox across the road oh
1: that's cool. you don't get
0: to see those that often um back back in missouri they're there but that was
1: a beautiful one. Um, and so, you know, um, I'll kind of paint a picture of what this riparian area looked like. It was, it was a lot of post oak, a few scattered live oaks, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of cedar elm um, and a lot of uh, eastern red cedar. And mm-hmm. um, so your kind of crop trees were post oaks, live oaks, even a few... Um, a few elms were the, the the crop tree, but then the understory was either mainly um, cedar elm and eastern red cedar, and it was kind of one of those where it's like, man, we need we need more vegetation. When we're talking plant communities that we need down here, we're needing species that are kind of adapted to moist soils: um, giant ragweed, jewelweed, pokeweed. Um, even some blackberry brambles, and and one good thing was there was a lot of um, greenbriar, but unfortunately that greenbriar growing in a closed canopy forest was growing straight up tree trunks, trying to get up in a canopy to get some sunlight, and uh, so, you know, with some thinning of the cedar elm, and also the eastern red cedar thinning out the junkier oaks the trees that are showing some signs of stress anyway and allowing some sunlight to come in so we can get some uh, vegetation to grow um and also it may be in the form of some other shrubs to where we still have shade but we have more forage available and uh you know as 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 um plants grow and time ticks there's going to be need to be a disturbance to try to encourage some more early secessional plants so there might be some dormant season disking to try to promote those uh, specifically giant ragweed um, and you know because you hear mixed reviews on giant ragweed um, but man we found some farms where it gets
0: hammered lots of food value in my opinion to giant ragweed and it's one of those ones where if you you really want it because it grows very rapidly has a fantastic structure i think to it um and and can be found in a a wide variety of different sites and that's from semi semi moist to very very moist and damp and it doesn't require an incredible amount of sunlight to be able to grow and when when you're talking about the closed canopy that you mentioned, people probably have heard us bash or or, or not be huge fans of it. But again, this is something that you have, you have to have in very dry, arid climates. We're not talking something that has to be comprised or take a lot of the farm itself. However, you, you really do need it. If that, if that, if it's bottomland area, You really should consider having some areas that are more heavily um, canopied. That that is going to bring you a lot of value. And you think about that summertime frame. We're talking May all the way through October. It's going to be very hot. I mean, it's going to be very warm. And and that's a long portion of the year that you should be managing for and can manage for with having some denser areas where there is water flowing or, or there's a spring, something to that extent um that's extremely desirable
1: you want to talk about a time for beavers yeah yeah. i mean i was walking through some of these farms just going man if we could get beavers here and slow down the flow of some of these creeks to where we hold the water here in pools to where i mean a lot of uh there's some really cool stuff with uh with with beavers and how they've helped hold water and raise um water tables in specific sites that they're colonizing um and i was just like man this would be really cool to see beavers come in here and all that water that gets almost like a toilet effect flushed and down the pipe it goes it would actually stay here and Mm -hmm. uh but you know that's that's down the road i guess um but (laughs) Yeah, you know, and not to cut this short, but I know Matt's on the road and he's getting ready to go back home. So um, just keeping in mind the fact of IDing your stress period for wherever mm-hmm. you're at in the country. Um, and and it could be, you know, before, before we go, I do want to mention one more thing about the stress period, too, is if you have limited um, supplies of whatever it is, food or cover, And you have high deer numbers, that's when you're going to see loner-type mature bucks that we all probably focus a lot of our thinking on go somewhere else. Because you're going to have doe groups and family groups residing on your farm if that's what's there. uh, If you have the resources there to where you're not only managing stress levels from limited food, but you're also managing stress levels of
0: deer Populations. Mm-hmm. And I think before we do go, I, I think it's definitely important to mention. Oh, well, guys, what if I don't have bottomland? What if I don't have the ability to manage for that? Um, but I, but it still gets hot in my area. You know, not every farm is, has has those water resources. If you have north slopes. Focus on north slopes, get some get some certainly some shade on the north slope, get um, the ability for for shrubs to come back on a north slope or for air currents to move through on that north slope. Uh, Routinely, you'll see more bedding, more preferred bedding. But um, or or if you if you're on a point, you're, you're in higher elevations and there's there's large points that jut out where maybe it's it gets three different types of winds really, really well. Um, I would make those areas much more, um, thicker and denser offering the, the shade, but then three out of four of the winds, you're covered. You got a breeze coming across and they're sitting on a high spot. So, um, there's a lots of different ways to, to consider managing for that type of cover, but you, you have to consider it. You can't, you can't overlook it during, during the summertime frame at all.
1: For sure. Awesome. Well, Matt, safe travels. Appreciate You're going to be out there. I fly out Tuesday, yep. so it's going to be a fun, fun week. <laughs> yeah, of consulting. You'll be. You'll be I'll be yeah, joining you somewhat, somewhat east. east. Yeah, Ohio. Yeah, you'll
0: be in Ohio. Two uh, two different portions of Ohio. swear one of, uh,
1: well mo- one of us might as well one of us <laughs> might as well Ohio as much time as we spend in that state.
0: We, we do spend a lot of, a lot of time. It's a, it's a good state. Um, but it, it's always funny because. A lot of people in the East are like, oh, I'm going to the Midwest, going to Ohio. (laughs) It's like like the East Coast version of the Midwest, but um, it's definitely still a a really cool state and offers a a lot. So um, safe travels to you. And um, I know by all the ground we're covering this week, it's probably five or six different farms. Um, We will certainly have a lot of awesome topics to be able to address and talk about next week, too. Yeah,
1: for sure. Well, guys, thanks for joining us once again. Sorry we're cutting you guys short this week. Uh, Matt's, Matt, thanks for jumping on.
0: Absolutely. Y'all take care.
1: All right, guys. This week's Plant and Animal Profile brought to you by Pure Air Natives at pureairnatives.com um, is the prairie cordgrass. What? Prairie cordgrass, I don't know why, it doesn't get nearly enough credit for what it is. Native grass, got a huge range across North America. It grows uh, zone 4 to 9, uh, anywhere from heights from 4 to 7 foot tall. Uh, it's a warm season grass, but it likes having wet feet. Um, it's very drought tolerant, and it's great erosion control um it grows this is one of those things where i get we get asked this question so many times but what can i grow in a wet area it's like well what are your goals well i'd rather it be food okay well let's let's try to find something that's going to address that Uh, but also um if it's it's a wet area and i'd really like to have better cover prairie cordgrass is probably unless you're way down south um which i've got a plant for that but this week is about Prairie cordgrass and prairie cordgrass could be a great answer for having adequate cover in a wet area. Um, you mix in prairie cordgrass with some of our native wet shrubs like button bush or uh, red osier dogwood, we could have a phenomenal, um, phenomenal little thicket in a uh, wet area. So, check out prairie cordgrass and check out pureairnatives.com.